Hey, Yogi, Sarah Burchard here, and you are listening to Yoga Unplugged Conversations, a show dedicated to helping you grow, thrive, and gracefully make tough life decisions so you can lead a happier, healthier life. On this show, we discuss common challenges that everyone can relate to and apply philosophy and practical tools that have been proven to be effective solutions. If you struggle with your relationship to food, my guest on this show today and I want you to know that you are not alone. Food is a tricky thing. And attached to it can be every emotion imaginable from pure bliss to stress, guilt, and resentment. Food has the ability to transform people, situations, and environments in both positive and negative ways. So on this episode, we're going to explore the many ways food affects our behavior and how we can have a healthier relationship to it. Jessica Rohr is the founder of Forage Hawaii a local meat purveyor that sources wild, invasive, and naturally raised meats from responsible sources throughout the Hawaiian Islands and sells it at farmer's markets around Oahu. She's an advocate for Hawaii's local meat industry and a passionate foodie with an endless curiosity of all things food-related. Jess has a powerful story when it comes to her life's journey with food. Beyond her personal experiences, she has also majored in dietetics at the University of Hawaii and has spent countless years studying numerous diets, nutrients, and eating disorders, as well as industrial farming versus natural farming, and the politics of food, so that she could establish a healthier relationship to food and help others to do the same. Jess and I have also hosted a handful of farm-to-table events together on Oahu that highlighted local ranchers and farmers and encouraged diners to eat local. She's been an awesome partner in crime and friend and inspires me constantly with her incessant dedication to supporting a more sustainable food system that is healthier for us and the environment and more accessible to everyone. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and if you find it helpful, please pass it on to someone you know and love that may have food struggles of their own. Hey Jess, welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me. That was an awesome introduction. <laughs> like, not, I'm not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so thank much you. for, yeah, thank you for agreeing to speak with me today on this topic. What I want to do is I'd like to dive right in since we have a lot to cover and begin by swapping some stories about what our personal relationship has been like with food throughout our lives. I'm going to start us off. And then afterwards, I would like to hear all about your journey. Does that sound good? Cool. That sounds great. Yeah. Okay. So for me, my life's journey with food can pretty much be summed up by the famous Sophia Loren quote, everything you see, I owe to spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I realized how much I really loved food. I was staring down into a pot of tomato sauce with my dad in our kitchen at home when I was a kid. And I, I remember that he used to like to make his with red wine and bay leaf, which is something that I still do to this day, at home at least. And he loved to hang out in the kitchen while it cooked. He'd just hang out and slowly prep everything else for the meal and enjoy a glass of wine and just stir, you know, stir the pot and watch it simmer. And he was so passionate about food that you couldn't help but be excited too. And the joy on his face as he ladled that sauce over the spaghetti, it just like, it just <laughs> never shaped how I cooked, 
how I ate and how I thought about food. And like many kids, I grew up eating lots of junk food, like, you know, American cheese and fruit roll-ups and Pop-Tarts and Doritos, you know, Cheez-Its, yep. all, all the, <laughs> those are all <laughs> staples in our house. But luckily I also had a good balance of home-cooked meals too and lived with parents who celebrated food. So I didn't end up being a picky eater and instead ended up being um, a lover of food. And so I, I could consider myself extremely fortunate to have had very minimal issues with the way I eat actually. But I do have a couple that I continually work out every day. And one of them is overeating and the other is eating too fast which are Mm -hmm. both directly correlated. So like many of us growing up, I was taught to finish everything on my plate, regardless of how full I was, which led to overeating later on and not knowing how to listen to cues from my body that I was full. And then I also grew up with a family of very fast eaters. So between my family and a past career in the restaurant business, the behavior of inhaling food bite Mm -hmm. after bite without slowing down was modeled in front of me every day until my early 30s. And it had gotten to the point where I was literally choking on my food on a regular basis because I was swallowing before I was done chewing. And I even ended up in an emergency room once because I could not get a piece of chicken up or down that was lodged in my throat. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That actually happened to me once, but it was because of a food fight and we were throwing food and my mom threw chicken as I was laughing. <laughs> I choked on it. <laughs> what, it like flew in your mouth or something? Or? Oh yeah. It went straight in my throat. Oh um, my God. Yeah. So I didn't have to go to the emergency room, but that's funny that we both have a choking on chicken story. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I eventually made the decision to start being more conscious about not only how much I was eating, but how I was eating. And okay, and so later on the show, I'd like to talk more about that and and how I did that. But first, Jess, you have also had some very pivotal moments in your life with your parents that shaped your relationship to food. Would you share some of those experiences with us, maybe starting with your mom first and then with your dad? Yeah, that's so cool to hear your story, though, by the way. And I I can't wait to hear even more. But um, yeah, as you were saying that, the first thing that popped in my mind was my first memory of food, which was so awesome. My dad, uh, he was a tugboat captain and he would bring home fresh fish or whatever. He dove as well. So I can still remember like him opening a cooler and there being like a taco octopus in there and then cutting the, like each sucker and they gave me a sucker and I'm like, I'm supposed to eat this sucker. And (laughs) um, I remember that, but I just thought it was so cool. You know, and he'd tell me stories like, how he wrestled the octopus and it tried to suffocate him or whatever. Oh and, um, and then, yeah, my first food memory is just like seared ahi. And I just remember being really little, just like absolutely loving it. It was, I feel like there's just so much nutrition in that, that kids just kind of gravitate to. I see a lot of kids loving poke and, and ahi because of that, I think. But mm-hmm. um, so that was awesome. That was my first memory. And I always hold on to that. It's what actually motivated me to learn how to fish and get into the fishing industry when I worked on a fishing boat. But then that was kind of when my parents were together and my mom had some issues and some of her problems caused us at times to not have enough food. And so I had these times of like abundance that were really awesome where, you know, my dad had plenty of food for me or my 
stepdad would hunt and we'd have a deer. Um, but then there were also times when my mom got us into so much trouble that we didn't have enough food. And, um, and I realize now as an adult that, that there was periods of starvation for me that really modeled and shaped the way that I eat and how my behavior with food became. But I also had some really cool, like another cool experience was feeding homeless. So my mom, actually, in order for us to get food, we would go to the church and like get food and then we'd cook it for the homeless and feed them. And that way we could feed ourselves. And my mom literally would hoist me up into a dumpster to get all the baked goods from you know, the back of Safeway. And we'd take those to the homeless as well. And we'd be able to eat them. Wow. And, um, and it really, it, it gave me this really amazing appreciation for food, but it also, I think it, it messed me up a little bit too. You know, I have that same problem with overeating and it's because I'm afraid that things are going to go bad or that I'm not going to have enough. And it took me a long time to actually even be able to let produce sit in my fridge. Cause I would be so afraid that it was going to go bad that I'd have to eat everything right away. Even if like I would eat way too much in one day because I was afraid it would go bad. And I did the same thing. My parents raised me on like a lot of fast food and stuff, but then we also had these home cooked meals. And so I had so much appreciation for that. And that just kind of grew when I got to college and learned that there's a whole science behind food. You know, I was already really obsessed with cooking and I'm sure you were the same way as a kid. Just, I watched all the cooking shows and wanted to, we didn't have any food. And sometimes I'd be putting all kinds of random things on like a potato, like canned potatoes. I remember putting like, my mom had this spice rack that said spice is the variety of life and I guess that's how I would sum up <laughs> my stuff and rather than a spaghetti bowl but my my uncle had carved it and it was like a five shelf maybe like three by four spice rack the biggest spice rack you'd ever see in a home and my mom had the thing full of spices and so one of the ways she cooked was just using a million spices mm. and and I would model that and I'd do the try and make stuff and it was awful but um, <laughs> but I loved to cook and I loved to eat you know and then um and I love to feed people my mom also gardened a lot so we would have these amazing um pro this amazing produce when she did that and it was so interesting one of the times we fed the homeless she had all these beautiful tomatoes and she she made them for the homeless and I'm like what we just grew all these amazing tomatoes why would you give them away but that those little things things like that kind of shaped um, my relationship to food so I've had a lot of really cool memories and then I've also had some really hard times especially with just I just have a big heart for anybody who's had to go without enough you know yeah. and yeah so I don't know that's kind of just some of my my memories um, can you can you tell us more about your experience uh, studying dietetics in college oh uh, yeah so that was interesting because um, you know I was an athlete so performance was really important to me and I always kind of figured there was something to do with food and performance and when I got to college I took a nutrition course and I was just blown away like mind blown oh my gosh, there's like all this information we know about this. Oh, well, there's stuff we, we should have and we shouldn't have, you know? And so I went, you know, I'm kind of, I overdo everything, right? So I overdid that to the max. And my first nutrition course, I just was, my friends hated it because they'd be eating something fried. And I'm like, do you know how bad that is for you? And no, <laughs> nobody could eat around me like, peacefully. It was so awful. And I feel so bad. I had to apologize to everybody. But, um, but I kind of, um, I developed this, unhealthy obsession with healthy eating, which is technically called orthorexia. And um, back then it was still kind of the low fat. Everything was low fat, right? So I just thought fat was the devil. I mean, this is after like taking a lot of nutrition courses, I was still convinced, um, you know, that fat was so bad for me. And then, you know, I noticed, I learned a few things through that, 
I learned how important protein is for athletes because I saw my body transform when I, when I gave it enough protein and I did my sport. So Mm -hmm. that was kind of a cool thing that I learned. I got really into where my food comes from because I read the book Fast Food Nation and that focuses a lot on the meat industry. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of appalled. I turned into a vegetarian instantly uh, because they mentioned the cafeteria that I was, you know, had my meal plan with specifically in that book. And I'm like, okay, I can't eat any of this meat. It's like grade F, like you can't even buy it at the grocery store. It's like the grade above dog food. Mm -hmm. And um, so I I cut out all the meat. And then I just thought because the way nutrition, Western nutrition had been teaching me in school, like that was going to be the healthiest thing for me anyways. And I got really iron deficient. And it really affected my schooling, like my the semester that I did that after about a semester of it, and I depleted my nutrients pretty fast because I was running track, and um, and you just have higher requirements. But I got really iron deficient. I couldn't think. My grades went down. Um, I didn't really have enough energy. I got really thin, and that happened. But but I definitely um, learned, you know, the importance for me in my body of red meat after that. And then I that was kind of the beginning of starting to figure out like where could I get good sources of that, and then. That was also, I guess, to kind of go into how I developed an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, originally it was kind of just obsessed with this unhealthy obsession of healthy eating. And then um, we had a track coach who got fired, but he was pretty much trying to create eating disorders in in our members. It's pretty awful. And he's in a class action lawsuit now for a lot of this stuff um, with the Me Too movement and everything. But I was the strong-minded one. I was the one that wasn't going to let it get to me. I was going to watch everybody else get affected by it, but it wasn't going to affect me. And after a few years, it, it did affect me. And I had gone back or I had taken some time off during the summer. I gained a little bit of weight. And just going back to running track and getting my you know, weight constantly checked by them, it caused me to, I couldn't control my eating at that point very well. So it's kind of, it turned into like a binge and purging. So I developed bulimia for probably like the second half of, of my college, um, my college career. So I struggled with that pretty much in silence. I think a lot of people struggle with eating disorders in silence and there's probably some people that realize it, but you know, you don't want to talk about it. It's embarrassing. I can just remember being in the bathroom, like hiding in my dorm room, just like praying nobody would notice or be able to tell what I was doing. And it was, and that was, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but that was because you were having like these weigh-ins in the gym um there was a lot I mean they were like grabbing our stomach telling us we all could lose a few pounds mooing at us when we're running I mean it was just like a long list of I guess just like kind of mental abuse in a way that caused a lot of the girls to have I mean it's kind of it's really sad and it's really prevalent in sports but also in the dietetics program I could see it too I mean I'd be in a class full of a bunch of women and everybody looked way too skinny and at one point we had to do this exercise where our our professor gave us a piece of paper and had all these silhouettes there's like five silhouettes and they're all different shapes you know from small to big and you're supposed to circle the one that you think you are there was only one person out of our whole class that was on point because each one is associated with a bmi and then you do your bmi Mm -hmm. and you figure out which one is you everyone except for one it was a guy of course but everyone thought that they were bigger like one up one to two sizes bigger than what they were based on that silhouette and their bmi and I remember just looking around being like, I guess I'm not the only one with an eating disorder or disordered eating. Yeah. So I, I really struggled to control my eating. I think also because I was on this low fat kick, you know, and I'm eating a lot of sugar and things that 
encourage cravings. And then I, I changed, I changed my major very last minute. So I, um, my major does um, combine nutrition, but it also has business. So I did an interdisciplinary study program. And the reason I did that was because I did not want to go into Western nutrition after I realized that I, you know, started studying the food politics and realizing that all these recommendations were based on a lot of politics mm-hmm. and, and processed foods, you know, like I was literally buying like fat-free cheese. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't think cheese. I don't think there should be such a thing as fat-free cheese. But yeah, um, how is it possible? <laughs> I just think of it as like plastic now. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I I um read a book called Know Your Fats, and it's funny how much nutrition courses I took, and I still didn't get the concept of essential fatty acids. Like I forgot about the essential part. It was just so hammered into my brain that fat was bad for me. And it made me kind of, it opened my eyes to, you know, what we don't know. Like, I was so impressed by how much we knew. And then I realized, oh my gosh, there's so much we don't know. And there's so much that we didn't pay attention to, like traditional diets specifically. So I got really into learning more about what people ate before modern foods came out, before everything was like hyper palatable processed foods and the industries vouch for like more recommendations of sugar and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Weston A. Price wrote a book called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration when it's back in the 50s, I think. And he went around the world looking for cultures that hadn't been exposed to modern foods and they were much healthier and they had all different kinds of diets, you know, animal-based, plant-based, high fat, low fat. But main thing was they were eating their traditional diets and they were eating whole foods and they were eating a bunch of processed stuff. So anyways, I just got into that information and I take everything with a grain of salt. And of course, there's always going to be good and bad information in, in whatever you read. But but yeah, it just kind of helped me. It helped me realize that for one, like butter is good. Like Naked Cow was making the most amazing butter at the farmer's market. And I remember just being like, oh, butter's good for me. Like, get to eat this butter. And I had my poor sister, I had like given her so much crap for eating butter. And then she's like, <laughs> she's you're, like you're such a, a hypocrite. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm going to start eating butter. So so yeah, I just got, that was the beginning of me getting a better relationship to food. I did have to, I quit track my senior year because I just, it was too much for me in terms of, it's one thing that I realized with like my relationship to food is I had, I had to know when to remove the things that were stressing me and causing me, you know, to have a bad relationship with food. And that was one thing I did. And it got better after that. I was I I was able to kind of get my bulimia under control and it was really only because it had gotten so bad that I was afraid I was going to really hurt myself. Yeah. And I, um, I think yeah. that is, you know, it, it's, you changed your environment, which I think is key for people when mm-hmm. they are trying to break a bad habit or establish a new habit. Are you familiar with Bruce Lipton? I haven't heard of him. No. He's a biologist and the author of The Biology of Belief. And um, mm. actually, uh, I was just reading Darty Wesley, um, who has been on the show a few times. She puts out a monthly newsletter, and I just got it yesterday. And she mentioned him in her newsletter and talked about how he learned in the early 90s that genes don't control our biological and behavioral traits that our environment and perceptions of our environment do. 
and that only 1% of diseases are actually due to genes and 90% of diseases are actually a consequence of stress. <laughs> so about right. if you change the way you think and live, you actually have way more control over your fate than your genes do. So we usually, yeah, so we usually have to change our environment, right? In order to, like I said, break an unhealthy habit or establish a new one. For example, a, like a drinker might have to stop going to bars or hang out with certain friends in order to not be tempted to drink. Or someone yeah. who wants to develop an exercise routine may want to start packing their gym bag the night before and setting it by the front door so that they're more inclined to go to the gym the next day. Um, right. And, and I, I think was... for you, like, like cutting track out of your life was, it was the environmental change that allowed you to heal from this eating disorder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did have times where like summer I'd be, I'd be like staying with my dad and I'd still struggle with it. Mm -hmm. Um, just because I think it was like this habit that I've developed and something that became out of my control. It felt mm -hmm. out of control. And of course there's probably all this psychology behind that. And I've read about it and can't quite bring it all up at this very moment, but, but, uh, yeah, I finally put my foot down, but it definitely helped, you know, when you have somebody on your back about something or being really critical to you, it's really hard. And I love that about what you do and you always try and create positive environments for people and, and kind of just a atmosphere of self-help. And that's definitely one of the main things that helped me. And then I just, I got so into farmer's markets and growing food and that's kind of was where I transitioned. Like I focused, had focused too much on the science and was just all in this nutrition realm where it became, everything was just nutrients, right? And that's where I got kind of wrapped up in like superfoods or, you know, processed foods. And I wasn't enjoying cooking enough I wasn't enjoying like where my food came from or connecting with my food source and all these things I later on added into my life and helped me have such a better relationship with food and like connect connecting to your food source and like respecting it and knowing where it comes from is huge I mean it makes it so much easier to make a better choice and to really feel satisfied after you eat a meal because mm -hmm. I've definitely struggled you know the overeating I still struggle with all this stuff but it's but it's all gotten better like that and you know not aiming for perfection which I always did because I was you know a division one track athlete I like had to do the best and I was always had a coach and you know like when I didn't have anybody telling me what to do or training me I had to do it on my own and I had to figure out like how I was gonna manage because I had always had somebody help me manage um, or I had I had over controlled tried to over control things like with you know eliminating all the fat from my diet but I also one of the things I've learned recently, I feel like just recently is just offering myself forgiveness, you know, not giving myself guilt and shame over something. And this is kind of hard for me sometimes because I'm always promoting, you know, the best source of meat, but I mean, I'm also an appreciatarian, right? So I'm going to end up, <laughs> I love it. if you make me a BLT, I'm probably going to eat it and not ask you where the baking came from. But uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, that's just another value, right? Like we all have like our yeah. core values and then, you know, and then we build upon those. So it's like one of your core values is being appreciative of where your food comes from, no matter where it comes from. And then you try to, you know, level that up by sourcing, you know, responsible grown meats and invasive meats and all that. But your still core value is still like appreciating where your food came from. So if whoever made it for yeah. you 
we yeah. do the best we can, you know, and that's what yeah. I try and think of. There's, there's so much shaming, I feel like nowadays, especially through social media on like different styles of eating. And one of the things that I think is awesome now is like people are actually just being like, okay, what feels good to you? Mm-hmm. What, do, what feels good when you eat it? You know, like not what so, so-and-so said you should eat or so healthy, you know, like listen to yourself. That and we so have important. that intuition. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's like something I literally feel like was just an epiphany to me in the last few years. But, uh, but that's also a, a big deal. I know I've kind of like sped up ahead of probably a lot of things that you want to touch no, on. No, I mean, that's why, back to it. <laughs> that's why diets don't work though, <laughs> is because everybody's different, right? You can't like create this one size fits all diet because 10 different people will have 10 different reactions to it. That's why you didn't do well on a vegetarian diet, but somebody else thrives on one. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. So I, I love, you've, you've said before that the farmer's market is like therapy for disordered eating. I, yes. I love that. Can you just expand on that a little bit and tell us why you feel like that way? Yeah. I, I think one of the biggest reasons is it's just, there's not a lot of processed foods there. And I, I think the hyper palatable processed foods are sometimes what cause us to overeat or that we binge on kind of just surrounding yourself with the people that are growing the food, making the food. It's of course, you know, the positivity of a farmer's market and the happiness of a farmer's market is just such a good feeling. And then you can take that home and, there was something, I can't even quite put my finger on it, but there was something about, like, I would bike to the farmer's market really early in the morning at KCC when I was, I don't know, like, in my early 20s, and I would know all my places to stop, and I'd come home with all this stuff, and it would just, like, excite me for the week to cook mm-hmm. my own food, you know, and the more that I controlled what was in my house and, like, what kind of foods were in my house and this stuff, you know, the less I would overeat because I was keeping, like, I still have to be careful about, you know, what I keep in my house. If there's like a thing of Oreos, I'm probably going to eat a whole row, mm-hmm. especially if I have milk. Mm-hmm. But um, I um, <laughs> I just kind of like figure out for me, it, it works for me to just, you know, keep the things that cause me to overeat or cause me to feel bad about myself or cause my body to feel bad, just like out of my house. And the farmer's market has like, so much stuff. I mean, you can make entire meals from the farmer's market. There's all kinds of produce, there's fruit, there's cheese and I don't know, coconut milk and, you know, like meat and fish and all the things that you need. And I just like staying out of the grocery store and it just really helps me with my relationship. I did, There's something about that when I got out of, you know, the center aisles and that sort of thing Yeah, and just filled my kitchen with food that felt better, had better energy and it just really solved a lot of my problems. Yeah. That simply. Yeah. I, I'm totally with you, uh, especially on the way you feel after leaving the farmer's market. That to me is one of my favorite times of the week. If not my favorite time of the week is mm-hmm. going to the farmer's market because you're, you're with like-minded people. You're, everybody is in a good mood there. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but <laughs> it's like, I, you know, it's hard not to be right. Like everybody's just super stoked to be there. You know, you're surrounded by all this amazing food and like, how, what could you complain about when you have like this, this bounty of just amazing food and people, good people surrounding you that have the same values. It's, it's, it turns grocery shopping into this experience that you look forward to every week and it develops a sense of connection 
and you feel fulfilled on so many levels because you're not only like bringing home good food that's good for your body, but you're also like contributing to your local economy and like food security and all of those things that are really important to us, especially here in Hawaii. Yeah, I feel like it's my kryptonite for the industrial food system. Like it's just very healing for yeah. our food environment is so jacked up, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and if I focus on all the bad stuff, I get really bummed out and I get angry, you know? But then if I focus on like the little farmer, <laughs> the, the new little farmer there with like just him and his wife and they have like, mm-hmm. excuse me and they have you know like just a teeny bit of things from their farm they just started like that in itself just makes me feel so much better about our food system because there are there's good things you know but if you focus on too many bad things yeah it just kind of gets you down so yes I love that I mean I feel like even just today I was like I can't thank God or the world or the universe whatever you want to call it enough for what I do, because I feel so lucky that I get to work at the farmer's market. I'm yeah. just thinking, how, how did this happen? I'm, I get to hang out with people that are happy to see me that, you know, are passionate about the stuff I'm passionate about. And then it's just such nice community. So I'm, yes. I, I don't even know. I feel like I got to bow down and say my thanks every single week. That I get to yeah. Do that. Shout outs to the farmer's markets all over Oahu. Um, <laughs> so I, and, and I, and it's, what's cool too, is you're so close with your customers and yeah. to the point where you have gotten to learn about their diets and their health issues. You know, sometimes they've got health issues. What are some of the types of issues that you've seen being treated with diet and what were the outcomes that you've seen? Yeah, that is one of the most interesting things to me. You know, I used to be so into the science of food and nutrition, and now I'm just like, I love people's diet journeys. I love hearing about it. Um, I love hearing their struggles and the things that they found that have helped them. You know, I'm kind of a big empath, so it, it really makes me bummed out to hear people that have gone, that go through a lot of diet struggles. It's actually one of my customers recently, well, former customers recently passed away from one of her from what was going on with her. Mm. And she had been trying to tackle some of it with her diet, but it was just progressive disease. And so, yeah, I, I just, I learned so much about people's diet journeys and I see what they go through. And one of the things that's been kind of scary for me to see is since I started doing this, you know, being at the markets in town, I think like five years ago or so when I did, I did market booths before that, but, but mostly just selling the meat has kind of taught me so much. His, it's scary how many people I meet with autoimmune disorders that freaks me mm. out. And it's not something that I heard so much about, or maybe it's just more prevalent or what I, I, I got to imagine that it's just more prevalent now. But the coolest part is, is you, you see a lot of people just like going into remission with them or being able to control it. And a lot of it just, you know, there's so many different methods that I see people using, whether it's like Whole30 or I, I try not to hate on any one specific diet, you know, like I'm the meat lady. Everybody knows that. But I have customers who, you know, a vegan diet has healed them and helped them. A carnivore diet has healed them and helped them. A keto diet has healed them and helped them. A paleo diet has healed them. Generally, it's usually always whole foods, you know? And so that's the cool part. I also, the other thing that I've really noticed and that I just have paid attention to is people going in and out of, you know, diet trends or just testing the waters, trying to see, you know, the 
maybe they're keto for a while and then they try this, you know, or that, and then, or then they, you know, maybe I see them and the, they've just said they got the case of the efforts, like, and they're just, you know, getting back into it. It kind of makes me realize that, you know, as much as we need a balanced diet, we need a balanced diet of ideas. We can't mm-hmm. go too far one way without reining ourselves back in. Mm-hmm. And I, this is so common. I mean, you see it with like so many different trends, you know, whether it's celery juicing or putting turmeric in everything or whatever the new superfood is, or just in, el- totally eliminating a food group. I, I see a lot of people that do that come back to a more balanced place eventually, you know, and, and I think they all, everybody learns from it. And I'm still doing this. I kind of experiment some days, taking some stuff out of my diet or whatever and see how I feel. And I just think, for me, it helps to always rein myself back in because I will always overdo it. You know, if you tell me, and, and I don't do this anymore as much, but if you told me something was good for me, I was going to go and buy like a gallon of it and <laughs> drink it all at once, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. And, and then I had to realize like, okay, so like plant medicine, for instance, turmeric would be a good example. It's like, okay, yes, that's good for you. But do we need to have like, so much more of it to it to be better for you no because if you have too much of it you could give yourself kidney stones like you know people in india like would, the average would be i think like one tablespoon or of or i was probably one teaspoon or something a day average like you don't want to overdo something because even something like like vitamin c if you get too much of it it's a toxin you know but if you get the right amount of it it's an antioxidant so i just i these all these little ideas here and there have kind of helped shape me to have a better awareness and a different perspective, like a little bit more open perspective to all of the, the information that we get. Cause there's just too much information out there, you know? Sure. Like yeah. back when we didn't have the internet or TV or any kind of technology and we were just like in our tribes, <laughs> you know, the information we got was just developed over thousands of years of, of people, you know, learning together and, you know, you had a little, plant medicine doctor over there that would give you a little bit of this or that and that's where I try and go back to is like what's going to be more realistic and what's going to be healthy and balanced based on what my great 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 grandmother had and then of Mm -hmm. course I do I am interested in supplementing here and there and how we can kind of use the latest technology to maybe biohack a little bit but I but I always got to rein myself in because I'll take one idea too far and you, everybody's influenced by the food trends. Like if you follow, like I got kind of interested in all the people doing carnivore because it's I'm the meat lady, you know, and I started following all these carnivores and it's like all of a sudden I realized I'm like looking at plants like, oh, plants. <laughs> and uh, I, had to, I had to realize like, oh my gosh, I'm totally being influenced. I am definitely the person that wants to love, you know, do my best to love all food as long as it's from a good source and it's whole foods and yeah. Yeah. Well, it's cool that you are continually checking yourself like that, you know, and I think, Got you, yeah. And you have two really good points, you know, variety and listening to your body. And I think if you can stick with that along with the eating of the whole foods and just trying to balance between the worlds of indulgence and eating super healthy, that's honestly, probably the best way to go. Yeah. I also would say too, like with, you know, since we were kind of talking about eating disorders and stuff that I think that I would recommend for anybody who has, you know, feels like they don't have a good relationship with their food, 
food is to don't just suffer in silence about it. I did that for like years mm-hmm. and I still, I, I didn't really address it with anybody, but I, I kind of wished I had, you know, and not gone on for so long. And I've had so many friends that struggled with anorexia or bulimia because of we were all in the same boat basically, you know, and I, and we weren't even talking about it, you know, like all of us were struggling with it and we weren't even talking to each other about it. And I think that, you know, having a support system and having, being able to be open about it also helps to, to heal and to get over it because I don't, I still feel like I have disordered eating from time to time, but, but I feel like I've, cause I'm kind of staying honest with myself and just being able to talk about it really do you, helps. Do you have a support group that you can talk to or like somebody that you can talk to about that if you if you start to feel that way? I just probably blab to my friends. I don't really, you know, <laughs> I don't feel, I feel like, I really do feel like I've gotten such a great relationship with food. I love food. I love food so much. And, um, but that back, just kind of referencing back when I struggled the most with it, you know, mm-hmm. I think i I just didn't have, yeah, like didn't have, people didn't bring it up to me and I didn't talk to anybody about it. And I just had to figure it out on my own. And it's just, you never, you don't ever have to do that because we're all relatable to each other. You know, like we think we're the only people that feel the way we do. And it's like, if you talk to 20 other people, chances are there's going to be some other people there that feel the same way you do. Totally. And they might have a different approach that has worked for them that like you never thought of. And yeah that would work for you, but you just never knew because you didn't never talk to anybody about it. So yeah, yeah, I think that's good advice. I want to go back to overeating and eating too fast. Mm -hmm. Daria Rose, who is the author of a book called Foodist and also the host of the Foodist podcast and the creator of Foodist Kitchen, which is an online cooking program, came up with something a while back called the Mindful Meal Challenge. And I think you can still sign up for it if you Google it online. And I'll also include it in the show notes. But essentially what it is, is it's a week-long commitment to eating one meal a day mindfully in order to recognize unhealthy habits you may have around eating and to instill the habits of being more conscious of your actions as you're eating. So I used to work for Daria as her assistant and I managed her mindful meal challenge Facebook group. So I watched her following go through this program week after week and the transformations and aha moments that they had. And it was cool because since I was constantly paying attention to this, it made me start pay attention to it in my own life. So each day, yeah. So each day of the week you're, committed to this challenge and you get a video from Daria via email where she explains mindful eating and how to do it. For example, one day she talks about setting your fork down after each bite and not picking it back up again until you're finished chewing, which just like blew my mind. <laughs> like, what a concept. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, On another day, she would encourage you to try and detect all the ingredients in your food as you're eating and notice the textures and appearance. And the most important part you learn during this challenge is how to listen to your body. So am I still hungry? If I relax for a few moments and let my food digest, will I realize that I'm satiated or need more? Am I piling food on my fork and shoving it in my mouth before I finish my last bite? 
just really learning how to be in the moment with your food and the act of eating, which not only slows you down, but it also allows you to feel when you are full and ask yourself if you're eating because you're hungry or you're bored or you're anxious or because you just really like the food. So you just can't stop eating it because you just love the taste. And it gives you the opportunity to assess those thoughts against your values. So for me at this point in my life, I was really trying to stop overeating and eating fast. So if I noticed myself doing these things, I would think to myself, is this something that a person who doesn't overeat or eat fast do? And the answer, of course, would be no. So I would constantly slow down or stop eating whatever was, you know, whatever action was needed in that moment. And I would also weigh the consequences. So like enjoy more delicious food and feel uncomfortably full and in pain or stop here and enjoy the feeling of what I just ate. And after a while, the more and more I practiced this awareness while I ate, the more I reversed my old habits to the point where now I can read or watch something while I eat and still eat mindfully. But it took a lot of practice, awesome. a lot of practice. I mean, you, you, I mean, for, for the week, you're just picking one meal a day where you're doing this. But then after that, like you're really trying to do it all the time, like not just one meal a day. And I think it's it's also something that's really helpful if you're trying to lose weight. The people that she used to, she was a health coach and the people that she used to coach were mostly all trying to lose weight. And her whole system was based around um, how to lose weight without dieting. And so it, this is really helpful if you're trying to lose weight because when you're eating fast and not paying attention to how much you're consuming, it often results in overeating because your stomach takes about 20 minutes to signal to the brain that's full. So even if you're mm -hmm. eating healthy foods, you could still gain weight or have trouble losing weight because you're just simply eating too much at a time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how long you can eat before you learn all these things. I mean, I feel like I'm going to spend the next, you know, half of my life just still in trying to improve. That's such good advice. It, it reminds me of the last meal that I shared with you where we were eating, we were so happy about the food we were eating and we just wanted to savor it. And I feel like I don't usually slow down. I mean, I was probably still shoveling food in my mouth, but I recognize that with you too. You were eating pretty mindfully and like at a normal rate. Um, I, I always watched, I was, my mom modeled my behavior, you know, obviously she would shovel stuff in her mouth and she was always afraid of everything getting cold. It was like, we had to be mm. sitting down when it was piping hot. And I like, don't even burn my mouth anymore because I grew up eating such hot food. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I definitely feel like I struggle with that still. And you, you're always trying to get me to meditate and that's like hard for me, but I feel like that's part of meditation too, is just, um, you can meditate at any point. Right. But really just sitting and enjoying your food. You made me think of one other thing that I did want to talk about, and that's just like obsessing about your weight. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that helped me with my relationship with food was stop it, stop obsessing about the pounds or like stop staring in the mirror so much about, did I get bigger? Did I get smaller? And, um, and just having faith in yourself that if you want to lose weight, it's a slow progression and yes. you just, it's a, it's habits every day like that, like slow eating slower, 
making better choices and offering yourself forgiveness. Because for me, every time I've tried to lose weight, I obsess about food and I gain weight, you yeah. know, and it's just counterintuitive. Like the, the times where I lose weight is when I'm just like not caring. I'm just like focusing on being happy and focusing on lowering my stress and going to the farmer's market and cooking more, you know, and not thinking so much about it. Mm-hmm. Sorry if I got you off track there. No, no, that's perfectly on track. I mean, <laughs> no, no, it is. And, and it's so important to bring that up because there are a lot of people who they will get anxious or fearful when they see themselves starting to gain weight. And so they'll just go switch into like diet mode. And what happens with that is you just start yo-yo dieting. You diet, you lose weight, you or you don't because like, like in your case, right. Or, but a lot of people, they diet, they lose weight. And then once they've lost weight, they just don't continue with it because it's not a sustainable diet in the first place. And so then they gain the weight back and then they got to do it all over again. So mm-hmm. the, the really, the approach has to be a, a change in your lifestyle that will enable you to be at your ideal weight. And, and in order to do that, you've got to love your diet. You've got to love your life. You've got to find Mm -hmm. things that are good for you, but that make you happy too. Yeah. I think the other side too is like acceptance. Like for me, I was always holding on to, because I was an athlete in college, it's just like, I have to look like I looked when I had a six pack, you know, like I don't have to look like that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I, I like the idea, the Oh, I don't even know if it's called the set point theory or whatever, that we have kind of our set point that our body is most comfortable at and we can try really hard to stay under it, but it's going to like be really hard and we're going to have to like starve ourselves or, and then if we, you know, overeat too much and we're eating a bunch of um, processed foods that are causing us to eat more, we're not exercising, whatever, then we'll kind of like increase our set point over the years and then it'll be harder to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, like I'm, I try and always give myself forgiveness on either side of my set point and know that when I've lost weight, that this isn't something that I'm not creating this idea that I'm going to have to be, this is like how much I have to weigh always. And if I gain any weight, that's going to be terrible. It's like, I'm always fluctuating. And, and somebody asked me once, it was funny. They were talking about, I gain weight during the winter times often. And then I lose weight during the summer. Just that's how my life is. And this guy was saying it's because I'm Scandinavian or something. And the country is cold and so we put on weight during the winter but my dad literally always told me that as I got older if we we're in cold weather he's like make sure to eat more so that you <laughs> can insulate yourself and um I had to kind of get to this point too where I just like had a certain amount of acceptance if I had you know I just know that winter time you know it's Thanksgiving it's Christmas and we're eating more and that's when I gain weight and then summertime I'm surfing more it's hot like I eat more you know light stuff and And so, um, you know, we just, that same thing, like try not to aim for perfection. Like it's, we're all human and accepting and loving your body is going to be so much more important than focusing on a certain weight. And that's easy. I mean, for us, it's probably easier to say, like we both have high metabolisms and everybody's got their own struggles, but, but I do feel like at the end of the day, like having, loving yourself and loving your body first and foremost, in whatever way, shape or form that looks like for you. And I probably should, I mean, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I I think first and foremost, like, do you feel good? That should Mm -hmm. be the the most important thing. Like, how do you feel over how do you look? You know, like, do you feel good? Do you feel healthy? Then you might just be fine where you are, Mm -hmm. where you're at. 
yep. feeling super bloated and, and just awful, then maybe you're not, you know, but yeah. But yeah, like not everybody has to be like a certain, you know, BMI or measurements to some people just have different body types, you know, mm-hmm. and you're never going to. Yeah. So forgiveness and acceptance and love, like that's really where it comes down to. I feel like, um, and if you don't feel right, like that's one thing I learned with nutrition and kind of this experimenting, what makes you feel right. Like if you don't, if I don't feel right, if I don't have a lot of energy, I know that I can try and figure out what, you know, what's going wrong. And that's why I'm such a iron deficient deficiency, um, guru, I guess not guru, but like (laughs) I've always focused on that because that was one thing that I learned so much about myself. I first learned that, you know, like everything that I thought I knew, I didn't know because I I have a big ego. So when I, you know, learn something, I think I know a lot about it. And um, after, you know, like four years of nutrition, I thought I was an expert and <laughs> and I was really iron deficient and I just had, you know, I couldn't think all that stuff. And, um, and I had to figure out what works better for me, not based on what everybody told me, you know, just eat spinach, um, that, that'll do it. And that doesn't do it for me. You know, like the, the bioavailability and um, plant foods and iron source is really low. And I'm, I would do entire databases with everything I ate in a day. And my iron intake would be supposedly adequate. And then I'd go get my blood test and I was low in iron. So I just have mm. higher needs or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I had to figure out what worked for me. And I do that now, you know, sometimes I substitute um, coffee for meals and I'm not getting enough nutrient dense foods. And I'm like, okay, I don't feel great. And I'm, I'm now I need coffee to have energy. I should be able to get my energy from my food. So how can I adjust that, you know, cut back on the coffee, get some more nutrient density in my diet. and. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that sort of thing. That awareness is incredible. I mean, that that's that's the ticket right there is getting that curious with your body and running all these like different experiments, you know, like you did with the database with your iron and then going and checking that against getting it checked in, in a hospital and just yeah, seeing the difference. Yeah, a little overboard, I suppose, but, <laughs> but that's the cool part. So that's what's cool about my farmer's market and the people that I meet is that there are a lot of people that are doing that and Mm -hmm. finding really great results. Like sometimes they find what they tried did not work, you know, or Mm -hmm. like get eczema and flare up or whatever it is. And I just see so many people happier with the foods that they eat by listening to their body rather than listening to mainstream media or social media or whatever influence. Like I remember, I think something I learned in college was like some ridiculous number of people get the majority of their nutrition from like magazines and this is before the internet was Mm -hmm. big but yeah we actually have the intuition in our body the only thing I would say about that is our bodies can tell us a lot about what we need but when we're craving a lot of sugar it often means that we need protein and that's I've seen that across the board pretty much Um, I don't think we can listen to our bodies too well when we're having cravings for like hyper palatable food that could be that most processed food has some form of MSG in it and it's just we get cravings for that or whatever but sugar can trick your brain that's the problem yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah and and that's kind of like that's a whole nother episode of of (laughs) addiction and all that but but it's true it's like eating too much sugar can make your body feel like it needs more sugar and in reality that's not what your body needs so right. that would be uh, an instance where you have to actually like go against your body and 
use your use your brain <laughs> yeah okay I, I, what's going on I here was, I was taught a really important lesson and I probably already not been following this lesson but um but my favorite professor in college he had us all write down on a piece of paper what what we would tell somebody if we could give them one piece of nutrition advice and everybody had all kinds of like don't eat fat like I'm sorry I'm obsessing about the fat thing but that was the time <laughs> that right. was the time yeah it was um, it was all these specific <laughs> things and then what the answer she was looking for was very simple and she was like you can't tell people very much without them getting the wrong idea and she goes the only thing you can tell people without creating the wrong idea or you know them taking it too far or whatever is eat a variety of foods in moderation that was yeah. it she said and we're like everybody's studying to be dietetics that tell people how to eat right right and we're like wait that that's all we can say to people like what and um and it was actually when I realized that I don't really want to tell people what to eat um and yes. I didn't want to go down that road because um, it really is that I simple think, yeah, and I think the thing that I always just feel like we can always be safe if we just stick to whole foods and eat a variety of them. And I, of course, I love all the sourcing. And then hopefully doing that, you can develop a healthy relationship with your food because you learn the source and whatever, you know, you, you start to pay attention to all the other things, how your body responds and being mindful and all that. Mm -hmm. I love it. Jess, are there any last words you'd like to share with our listeners today before we start to wrap up? You know, I think I have learned, one thing I've learned that uh, in the last couple of years, I had a food truck and I was selling a lot of prepared foods and I was pretty stressed out when I was doing that. It's why I love doing the meat market the way I do it. I sell, I sell packaged meat and then I make a few things. I cook a few things and people used to like my food when I cooked in the food trucks and stuff. But now when I started just cooking a few things, I decided that I would cook with a lot of intention. And that I would, you know, the whole cliche, like made with love, mm -hmm. I would cook with love. And it was kind of this hippie idea that I was like, <laughs> I'm just going to slow down because I do everything so fast and I rush and I cut, you know, I would always cut my fingers mm -hmm. because I would be rushing so much, you know, mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to slow down and I'm just going to do this with intention. I'm going to take my time, no matter how much little bit of time I have, I'm just going to take my time to make this one pot of chili. And it's the one thing I'm going to make for my customers. And I'm going to make it as, as wholesome as I can. And, you know, it's funny how just that it, people like my chili, you know, but I, and I joke that it's made with love, but it's helped me personally, like to, for on so many levels. And then it does really nourish other people. And it kind of just helped me to bring this like love into food and love into eating and prior to, you know, when I had an eating disorder, everything, everything about food was stress and, and hate, you know, hating my body and hating how I felt and being embarrassed and all the shame. There were so many bad things associated with food. And so kind of shifting to just really putting love into my cooking, putting love into my food, even if you don't even know how to cook, you know, just like slowing down, taking your time and making one little thing, even if you're going to literally make a grilled cheese, like whatever you're going to do. And I think that helps you slow down. And I, I think that's the biggest thing that I've been loving lately is just this relationship with my food, knowing the food source better. Like you can't get health from sick animals. You can't, you know, get health from old crappy processed food plants whatever you know and I guess that's the only thing that I just want to share just because it makes me so happy and I want to share that <laughs> makes me happy is oh, I love you know that. just surround your surround your food with love like give your food love and and it'll love you back 
Yes. I so agree 100%. Celebrate your food. That's what we do. Yes. Thank you so much for, for saying that. For our listeners, I want to encourage all of you to check out ForgeHawaii.com and sign up for Jess's newsletter. She shares a wealth of knowledge on everything from regenerative farming to soil health to dispelling myths about the harmful effects of eating meat. And like I said before, she's done a lot of research and she's broken things down into really digestible ways for her readers so that they can stay informed and not have to sort through all the data themselves. And um, sometimes you, you have a lot of your newsletters now on your website too, like some of, some of them you've turned into blog posts. Is that right? That's yeah. Right, right? Now that you've said that, I need to do it a little bit more. I mean, it's kind of a shame because I'll write up these long newsletters that I've spent a lot of time researching that are kind of fun to read, but then they just kind of expire, right? They so, just disappear. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, you got to get those onto your website because they're, yeah. they're amazing. And um, so I think that's just such a, a gift that you send those out every week. And then if you live on Oahu, I highly encourage you to visit one of her booths at the farmer's market. And Jess, can you tell people when and where they can find you and how else they can connect with you? Yeah. So, yeah. And unfortunately, I connect too much probably to people. I need to get my line a little shorter, but I love um, talking to everybody. I love seeing each and every one of you guys. And so come see me. It's not me. It'll be um, a couple of my other girls that are really awesome to to connect with as well. We're at the Kaka'ako Farmer's Market on Saturdays from 8 to noon and the Kailua Market on Sundays from 8 to noon. Probably by the time this airs, I'll also be doing my Waianae Market a couple times a month. And then we're actually trying to get a Pearl Ridge booth going too. So other than that, I mean, I hope to get delivery eventually. I just want to really help people access some of these products, especially things like the invasive venison, which I'm super passionate about. That's why I started my business. Um, but you can check out more about that too through Maui Nui's website. They just put out a really awesome video about what they do. So yeah. And feel cool. free to email me anytime because I am, I blab on email just as much as I blab with my mouth. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. What's your email address and what are your social media handles? Yeah. Info at foragehawaii.com and my, I don't really pay attention to my Facebook. I'll say that, but Instagram at Forage Hawaii and DM me, you know, say what's up. If you have any questions, just let me know. I love talking about the details of where our food comes from. Yeah. So and you have any lots questions of good, there. You've got lots of good conversations going on social media all the time too. Um, some, mm-hmm. Sometimes they get yeah. a little feisty, but <laughs> you always <laughs> you hold your me. own in such a great, graceful way. So I love oh, it. Yeah. yeah, no, you know what? It's great. All of us, it's so good to share opinions and viewpoints and, uh, and just learn from each other. For sure. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing your story with us today, Jess. It takes a lot of courage to open up like that. And I really appreciate that you decided to do that today. Thank you, Sarah. I'm really happy that we kind of talked about this subject because yeah. it's something I haven't really put a lot of energy into and, and it deserves it. So thank you. Thank you. I know it's going to help a lot of people. Now, I'd love to hear from all your listeners out there. So please let me know what you thought of the show. And if you have any topics or questions that you'd like me to tackle on the show, the team of Yoga Unplugged and I are here for you. So please let us know. And if you'd like to join in on the conversation with us, you can subscribe to our newsletter at yogaunplugged.org. Find us on Facebook at Yoga Unplugged by Jennifer Reuter. Reuter is spelled R-E-U-T-E-R. 
or connect with us on Instagram at yoga underscore unplugged. Thanks for listening, everyone. Namaste.